everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Life in Private Staffing. Hope you're all well. Hope you've had a good couple of weeks. Really excited about our episode today. We're over in the States today. We haven't recorded with uh, an American in a while now, probably about a year or so. So lovely to be chatting to someone across the pond. And today we're talking with Peter, based over in Dallas. And Peter owns and runs Estate Management Solutions. Um, but basically uh, within the private sector, working closely with ultra high net worths from a, a consultancy um, perspective, as well as training and recruiting, etc. So um, I will uh, hand over to Peter, who can tell you a bit more about what he does. And uh, welcome to the show, Peter. How are you? Hi, Philippa. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out to, to schedule it. I was so excited to get the the LinkedIn message that you wanted to connect and uh, record this. So thank you very much. I appreciate the diligence. So for those of your for those viewers of yours that don't know me, uh, again, my name is Peter Van Ryder. I am based in Dallas, Texas. And if you need it, I can even say it as in Dallas, Texas, for y'all who just need a little bit of that Texas accent. <laughs> But uh, my, my company is State Management Solutions. So yes, I cater to the high net worth like all of your listeners on this program. My specialties include placements and staffing in the United States, as well as education and training. And education, both from an in-class Zoom-based standpoint of how to write household manuals and work in our industry, to in-home training for housekeepers, silver service, and a variety of other topics that our principals may need in their homes. But also one of my most favorite things to do is help new private service professionals find their way into our industry. And even whether you're just coming into the industry or you've been in it for a while and you're kind of floundering, those are the people I like talking to. Nothing sets somebody's mind at ease more than knowing that there's someone else out there that has had the same struggles with you and that can point you in the right direction to overcome those struggles. So that's uh, that's me in a nutshell, Philippa. Yeah, awesome. And like that's the whole sort of point of this podcast, really. You know, typically our, our industry is massive, yet so closed. Like it's really difficult to sort of you know connect with other people that do what you do really difficult for people to learn about it those thinking about getting into it the amount of people that say to me how do I get my first job because everybody requires experience so those people that's the whole point of this podcast really is to sort of help educate and sort of inspire others so brilliant we're gonna have loads to talk about basically um so tell us your story then so how did you like how did you get into it initially and what what's your career look like so as uh, several of your guests have all already said, most of us kind of stumble into this industry. Mm -hmm. We have no idea that it exists until someone in our lives says, hey, have you thought about this? And for me, it was my first wife. My first wife is a chef and she was a graduate of Johnson and Wales. And she found out about this industry many, many years before I did. I come from a hotel background, a technology background, and I used those two experiences to combine them into working in the private service. That coupled with my wife at the time and her experience, we actually made an ideal domestic couple for homes here in the United States. 
So again, stumbled into it and then all of a sudden found that there is a real passion for it. So even after the failure of my first marriage, I continue to forge on in the industry, carving my own path and just found that there's a passion. And I think that that is something that is very common with everybody that is in this industry. It is that it's a passion driven once you're in it you find yourself having a real love for it. And that's where I am today, hopefully just sharing that love and getting others to, to be aware that there is this really cool thing that you can do when you're ready to make the migration into, well, let's be honest with each other, some self-sacrifice for your future career. Yeah, I think if you haven't got that passion, you're going to really struggle when it comes to the compromises you have to make to be successful you know your you your world has to revolve around your principles world really and that's fine when you're sort of young free and single when you start to build a life for yourself build a family raise a family that's the struggle but people do it because they love it and they like are committed to their family um and yeah like you say it's such a fantastic industry and i think it's really nice to for people to know it's there but i don't know how it is over where you are but where we are Typically, people work in hospitality here. I don't know if Brits see hospitality as a real sort of like thriving career. A lot of the people that sort of work in the hotels and the restaurants here, you know, I think people sort of view it as you sort of do it between jobs or whilst you're looking for your next move or if you're uh, non-English and you're living here. A lot of people, you know, we have a lot of foreigners that do it. I kind of want to scream at the youth of today to be like, take this waitressing job seriously because you've got no idea where it can take you. You know, you don't have to be working in a restaurant for the rest of your life. You can move into the private sector and work all over the world. Like it's such a good industry. It's such a different side to hospitality than what people think, but requires a lot of you. And if you're not passionate, it's, gonna, it's just going to be too much, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And, and, and to your point about the hotels, I mean, hotels are very are great training grounds to give a, a potential private service professional uh, a good basis of what they need to know to work in the industry from waiting tables in the restaurant to cleaning rooms to working the front desk, to spending some time in the engineering department, while they are not directly translatable because of some of the idiosyncrasies that come with our industry, you're right. They give us a solid foundation of what a private service professional would need to be successful in our industry. Yeah. And so how long have you been working in the sector for? When did you start working as a couple with your ex-wife? Um, longer than I care to remember. Uh, <laughs> I, I want last I calculated, it's been close to 20 years. And yeah. it is, it, I think most of us struggle to remember you know, when was it that we got into the industry? You know, we can always remember our first jobs and our first exposure to it. But very few people can say, you know what, on October 22nd mm -hmm. in 1998, mm -hmm. I went on my first interview mm -hmm. and you get past that certain point of time. Like, yeah, well, let's be honest, at, at my age, somebody asked me how old I am and I'm thinking, OK, well, let's see, we're 2021 now. I was born in minus carry the one. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, it's, um, I would say close to 20 years now, 
and I just, I love it. It's so much fun. It's so eclectic, uh, yeah. not in only the j- duties, but the, the people as well. Yeah. Um, and so what are some of the roles have you had? How's, how's your sort of position progressed within, within the sector? My very first role was as house manager and butler um, out on Long Island in the Hamptons, actually. And, and I was there for about six months and it was my first exposure and it was certainly an eye-opening experience from there I did I had several house manager jobs and have eventually worked my way up through the career into a a state manager and director of residences position Uh, Mm -hmm. just last year I just took a temp contract to help a family office set up uh, actually a family set up their family office here in Dallas and once my year contract was up, I said, I'm good. Thank you very much. Here's your success. And mm-hmm. uh, let me go off and start helping other private service professionals now. Yeah. And so how, how long ago did you set up Estate Management Solutions? State Management Solutions, I founded in 2010 when I first moved to Dallas from okay. New York. And I, I noticed a gap. There was this gap in education in our industry, at least... Here in the United States, there's a big gap in education, and especially post or during COVID, post COVID, there's really only a handful of educa- educational systems that are specific to our industry here in the United States. And some of those are either very long and very expensive, or they may not necessarily be 100% applicable. And especially here in Texas, where we had very, very few placement agencies, everybody was placing from outside of Texas. So mm-hmm. there was this gap. I said, you know what, let's, uh, let's grab onto it and see where it'll take us. And here we are 10 years later, still going strong. Do you think, because obviously you offer a service to clients from a recruitment point of view and a consultancy point of view, but you also offer service to candidates from a training point of view. What's your split, would you say, between the candidates and the clients that you help? I help more candidates than I do clients. And that is just, just, I think that is, that's the way I've decided to do my business model. Uh, I because I do help a lot of candidates at no charge. I don't, I, I charge for my classes, of course, uh, that is the, the weekend courses, but I don't charge candidates. And with that, of course, comes, you know, hey, I don't always, can't always respond right away, mm-hmm. or we may need to, it may need to be a week out before we can talk, but I do my best to make myself available to more candidates. I don't need a whole bunch of principles, so placements to make my, uh, to maintain my comfort living, basically, Mm -hmm. cover my overhead. So it's nice to be able to take what I need and be able to give the rest of my time back to the industry. Yeah, nice. The training element is interesting because it's the same here. Like there are Butler academies, there's places you can go to learn the service side of things. They're very expensive um but other than the butler stuff i wouldn't have known i don't know what other courses are available in the yachting industry obviously you can go and do you you can go and do your interior courses your stewardess courses but if someone said to me i want to learn how to be a house manager where do i go even i wouldn't know where to recommend and that's 
you know, I'm meant to be well connected. So there's definitely a huge lack of training here as well. And I think a lot of the people here just rely on experience on the job training and just hope that if they get enough experience, they'll just learn as they go. But um, that your courses must be quite popular, are they? I would hope so. I do. Yeah. I, I cap my courses at 10 per session. So that way everybody has a chance to involve themselves, share their stories and, and make genuine connections instead of just superficial high. Oh, that's nice. I've passed, you know, we've we're ships passed through the night. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. There are, there are schools out there that train in, in Butler service. However, none of the, as far as my, my understanding goes, I've spoken with students coming out of several of these Butler schools, and while they are absolutely wonderful, very few of them touch on the administrative components of being in the home. Mm -hmm. And some of the non-tangibles about, you know, how to interact with your principal, how to be confident, how to maintain leadership, how to set up a chart of accounts, how to organize the home. They're taught service, mm. hugely valuable. Uh, and it is hugely applicable in I what I would say in your area. Yeah. In America, we don't have as many butlers, formal butlers. It is much more informal, more hybrid roles. Most of the homes that have a formal butler in it here in the United States are going to be more of foreign nationals that have a home here and are used to that service abroad. But most homes, you know, they want a house manager, they want uh, somebody to get it done. Mm -hmm. So while the butler service training is wonderful and can be incredibly applicable, there are more important skill sets to learn to become a household manager and a state manager. And they mm -hmm. are more administrative in nature. And, and those are just items that a lot of these schools aren't touching and it's no fault of their own. There's just not enough time. How yeah. much, you know, all the schools out there, example, none of the schools teach smart home. And there's a very for that. It evolves too rapidly and too quickly to be able to teach something that may, may remains pertinent for years to come. So stick with the, the hard stuff that can be translated from job to job to job and year to year and as technology continues. And that's why I try to teach what I teach is everything is in Word and Excel format. Everything's on a cloud drive. So there's no learning a new program, no learning a new process. This is just let's sit down, talk, share our experiences and learn how to write a household manual. And I think, and I've had butlers from the Butler Academy in class and they've gone, oh my God, this is great. I kind of wish I'd known this before I went to the Butler Academy because it would have helped me out with some of their, the tasks I had to accomplish there, mm -hmm. but they still know it and they're walking away happy. So I would like to think that I am gaining popularity in the United States. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, nice. Are you finding that the people coming to your courses are people brand new to the sector that don't know a lot or people that are already within the sector that are looking to progress? Yes, I get them both. And, and all of them are walking away, as from my knowledge, from the feedback I've received, all of them are walking away with value. Mm -hmm. The people that are coming into the industry, of course, they're going to get the most value out of the course because it's all brand new to them 
them. It's all, you know, shiny and pretty. But those with a lot of tenure in the industry, that what they're walking away with are some new tips and tricks on how to organize the environment. But they're also walking away with one, a reassurance that they are doing it right, which that peace of mind to me is hugely valuable. Yeah. And they're also walking away with a new network. So nine other people or 10 other people, including myself, that they can call upon when they need something that they maybe they are up against an obstacle that has something to do with the physical assets of the home or they're just mentally struggling with something. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, that the, it is a very isolating industry. Most mm -hmm. people don't know about it. Most people don't know that their neighbors, you know, here in here in Dallas, we have a street called Straight Lane. And on the section of Straight Lane is nothing but homes that are 15, 20, 30,000 square feet. So they're huge homes. But one thing I can promise you is that one house manager does not know another house manager on that same street. So it's very isolating. And with isolation comes mental struggles. You know, we're hearing all about these mental uh, health uh, struggles and mental health uh, breaks that these athletes are the, in the Olympics are taking. Well, you know what? Why can't we, well, as a private service, and if you're principal, then this is something that's always bugged me, is that when we had an association here in the United States a couple of years ago, I would have professionals tell me, I can't come to a meeting because my principals are afraid that I'm going to violate my non-disclosure agreement or it makes my principals uncomfortable. I, you know what? I'm sorry. That just does not fly with me. Mm -hmm. um, you deserve a life outside of that home you work in and you deserve to know that somebody out there is having the same struggles as you. So it, even if your principals are sitting there, no, 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 you know, nobody, as long as you don't bring up your principals' names or anything mm. personal about them or their home or their family, that's, that's the point. Come share your experiences. I know every time I host a happy hour here in Dallas, I sometimes begrudgingly go because like most of us, we're introverts mm. by nature so, you know, I kind of like Zoom networks. I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to interact. So I, I begrudgingly go to the happy hour, but every single time I'm walking away from that happy hour, I'm on tiptoes. Yeah, I'm like, that. that was so much fun. I got to talk to somebody. We, you know, I got to share an experience, help them out. They helped me out. They, you know, whatever it was. So go connect with the people around you, connect with the professionals in your neighborhood at your local pub or, you know, at a coffee house just to know there's someone else out there. You know what, it's so true. So we're, in, we're at Silverstone, we're, we're creating a bit of a community in London at the moment for house managers and purely that, like, and it's so short-sighted of a principal to say, I don't want you going because I don't want you to get headhunted or I don't want you to talk about me or anything it's like firstly if you don't trust your staff don't don't have them in your household anyway and agreed and if they're going to talk about you they'll talk about talk about you down the pub anyway like they don't, they don't need they don't need an event to go talk about you and it's so stupid like we are stronger together than we are on our own and so surely if there are like 10 house managers that all live near each other 
surely if they're all in touch with each other, they will be able to support each other and everybody will be able to be better at that job because they've got the support of their other house managers. And so surely a principal would think, well, actually, the better connected my house manager is, the better they're going to be at their job. So why it's just so like it's just so there's so many things that principals do that I don't understand. And that is definitely one of it, them trying to like keep everything tight and and, and you're right. I mean, we are, we, uh, we are Jack and Jill's of all trades, mm. and, but we're masters of running the house. Mm. Uh, it's what we all, all us good professionals succeed at doing. Mm. Now, my strengths are A, B, and C, and those are the strengths that I walk into a house with, but uh, D through Z my strengths come from my resources mm. and my fellow professionals. I'm really good at the human resources part, the staffing part, the, the luxury service part, where I have mediocre skill sets is my mechanics. So I know basic plumbing, basic engineering, basic HVAC, but you know nothing too over the top complicated. When I need help with something like that, I call my good friend, David Barry, who is here in Dallas with me, who is, you know, engineer level knowledge. I can say, David, I'm stuck on this. I can't figure this out. This air conditioning is not working. Okay, go here. Hey, tell you what, turn the camera on and show me the circuit board. Mm. Oh, I see what's going on. Okay, you need a new capacitor. Perfect. You know what? I'm calling my HVAC company. I say, I've got this unit out, send me a capacitor or send a uh, tech out with a capacitor. And before you know it, the issue's resolved. So yeah. we become more valuable to yeah. our principals if they allow us to connect with other professionals. 100%. And also like, you don't succeed in this industry if you're not a people's person. Like everybody that's in this industry, we do it because we like people and we like being with other people. Otherwise we'd sit behind desks and play on Excel all day. Like we like being with people. So. Um, so yeah, I think with your courses, I think that networking element is is a real benefit. And your your courses are all remote, aren't they? So anyone can sort of dial into them. Yes. So I used to insist that they all be in person, and I was traveling to New York, Florida, California to offer uh, Chicago to offer these courses in person. And one of the wonderful things that has come out of uh, of this whole pandemic, global pandemic, is Zoom. And now instead of having to travel, I've redesigned the class to be completely and totally on Zoom. So mm. you get, uh, when you register and you pay your invoice, you get logged in. I, I send you the login information Saturday morning at 10 o'clock central time. You log into the class and it is eight hours Saturday, eight hours Sunday, not always something that everybody wants to look for on, a, on their weekend, mm -hmm. but I promise I, I do my best to make it fun and engaging. But it is, it's, it's wonderful to be able to bring this kind of education to the professional to help them improve their lives. And then also point them in the right direction to other educational institutes, whether it be something like Charles McPherson in Canada the South African Butler Academy, uh, Tiba up in the Netherlands, you know, some wonderful Magnus, some, just some wonderful Butler Academies, or, hey, you know what, this is your career trajectory, you want to be more director of residence as a state manager, well, go to the University of Phoenix, or 
you know, whatever online university that's closest to you and take some accounting courses, take some human resources courses, take some project management. LinkedIn has some great project management yeah. uh, education. So instead of worrying about going and getting necessarily a full certification or a college degree, go out and teach and educate yourself, find teachings on the areas that are applicable to the career that you want, put that on your resume. And to those of, uh, of your listeners listening, it's like, you know, I've got no experience. How do I get into this? But you know what, for me as a recruiter, I'm going to tell you, you need to set the hook. If you have no experience, show me your skill sets, your hard skill sets. Show me the education that you have pursued to improve your, your skill sets to be in this industry. Now, you've set the hook. I go down to your experience, and I'm looking, okay, well, you don't have experience, well, but you've already set the hook. You've already got me interested, so now I want to talk to you, and we could probably find a way to overcome the lack of experience but you do need to show me that, hey, you've been in hospitality, you know these, you know, you know what luxury is, uh, you know, you have these skill sets, then let's talk, let's see how we can get you into the industry. Because there is, you know, one thing is that I've noticed is that there is no one set of criteria that illustrates the perfect private service professional. There's no bat, no true background. There, you know, hospitality and others, but they come from a variety of, of industries. But one thing that is true amongst them all is that they have a passion for service. They have a desire to please. Let's, uh, if I'm being honest, there, you know, maybe I'm a little psychologically damaged that I do get that warm fuzzies when the principal calls. I do get the warm fuzzies when I've helped someone. And that is that trait that we look for of somebody going into private service. Do you think it's realistic for people stepping into this industry for the first time to try and go straight into the house manager position? Or do you think it's more realistic for people to sort of try and go in a more of a junior role uh, house assistant, a service position, a housekeeper position and work their way up? What would your advice be there? I would say get into any position you can get your foot through the door in. Because mm. even if it's a failure, it is going, it could be a success because it gives you something to learn from. And as long as you're keeping your age, your placement agent completely apprised of what's going on with your struggles, they're going to be there to help you, at least the good agencies here in the United States. Um, it is, it's tough to find those junior roles sometimes because the super large homes here in the United States may have junior roles. But a lot of the homes that we see here in the United States, it's like, okay, we have a house manager and then we have a couple of housekeepers. Not a whole lot of them have a house manager and an assistant house manager or um, an estate manager and then an assistant estate manager. There's just not a lot of, of an overabundance of those roles. So I say go and apply for every position that you think you can do. Eventually, one of those positions, one of those principals are going to say, you know what? I want to take a gamble on this person mm -hmm. and that's going to be the one that you'll be successful in. 
Um, I know that you're a big believer of networking as well, but I think networking is so important when you're trying to get into it because often <clears throat> it's not what, what you know, it's who you know, don't they say? They Definitely. Say. And it's so true. And if you're trying to get in the industry, you could be gaining all the experience as you can, go and be working five-star in a, in a five-star environment elsewhere. But you need to be basically fully immersing yourself within any environment that's got public, uh, private service professionals in it. Because all it'll take one day is somebody saying we're looking for someone like you in our home in the house that I work in let me introduce you to the principal yeah you, he won't be interested in your CV because there's nothing on it and so that foot in the door is often right place right time so spread yourself out there get yourself out there and go to any event you can talk to anybody you can because it'll just be you'll meet somebody who will mention an opportunity to you Fine. You know, one of the things we have here in Texas is, uh, is, is exemplifies what you were just saying. And that is the reason, one of the reasons why there's just not a ton of agencies in Texas is because uh, placement works a little bit differently here. Principals are more apt to go on to LinkedIn, Indeed, ZipRecruiter to find their, uh, to find their professionals rather than pay the 20% to an agency to source them. But what they also do is, you know, while the private service professionals don't know who live next door, those owners, the owners of those homes know who their neighbors are and also very connected to their neighbors. Mm. So if they need a housekeeper, they need a house manager, they're going to go next door and say, hey, Mr. Jones, uh, does your house manager know someone's looking for a job? Does your house manager know of a housekeeper that's looking for a job? Do any of your housekeepers know, have a friend that's looking for a job? That's how a lot of jobs are found. And the only way to, you know, to be a part of that is what you were saying. Network, mm -hmm. show that you're available online on LinkedIn. Go to the, you know, the clubhouse talks that were that Latricia friend and I are having about how to source private service jobs. Go to your your group that you're cultivating in London. And even if you're the wallflower, you know, people are still going to talk to you. You're getting your name out there. And then all of a sudden, just as you said, you know what, my principals, I'm getting so busy. The family's growing. The principals have finally agreed to let me get some help. You know, what? I want to hire someone new to the industry because they're, they're a blank slate and they have no preconcept, preconceived notions about how it should be done. Why don't you come and work for me? I'll be your mentor for the next six months while we get these projects under. And then, boom, you've got private service on your resume. Exactly. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. I don't think, I don't know if it's a thing out with you, but um, another good way over our way, over in Europe, well, pre-Brexit, but um, was um, going to work in a ski chalet or a summer villa for a season because you're in, then you're in a private environment, you can go and do a ski season and work, in, work as a chef, looking after a family for the winter and get yourself in that way. But yeah, it's like getting yourself out there and sort of meeting people. And ultimately it's what we all love to do anyway, like especially post COVID, having not been able to do it for 18 months, any opportunity now to sort of get out there and sort of meet people um, is great. So what, if we were to sort of have a think about what some of your tips would be for someone looking for work right now in the sector, uh like let's talk about cvs first and foremost how do you like cvs to look well and this is a very american view on cvs or resumes and i want so one is i want a photo 
I want a photo on your resume. I want to know who I'm talking to. And so do the principals. And right, wrong, that's not what we're talking about here. I am just talking about preferences. Yeah. Whether it's right or wrong, that can be a discussion of another time. And mm. I'm sure with all your listeners, very in-depth and uh, a wide range of opinions. But a photo is one. I need to know the city and state that you're located in. Uh, your phone number does me no good because phone numbers are so highly transferable these days. If you have an online profile like LinkedIn, put that bad boy on your resume. Mm -hmm. And all of that stuff should be at the very top. Uh, if you ask David Gonzalez, it should also, who owns estatejobs.com, uh, amazing job board out there for the United States. And now actually just, uh, I've seen a lot of British positions come available mm -hmm. on that job board. Um, he would say he also wants to know what the type of position that you're interested in, house manager, estate manager, valet, butler, housekeeper, yada, yada, yada. But then as we are talking, tell me what your skill sets are, your hard skill sets. Don't tell me that you're an excellent organizer. Don't tell me that you're a great communicator. Don't tell me that you're a consummate professional. The, to me, those are fluff words. I'm going to know if you can communicate because I'm going to be talking to you back and forth via email. I'm going to evaluate it on your resume during our video intake. You're being evaluated the whole nine yards. So, but tell me your hard skill sets. What smart home technologies do you have experience with? Not just smart home technology savvy, but Crestron, Lutron, Savant, Control 4, Alexa, Nest. Tell me what you're comfortable with. Those chefs out there, this is the biggest thing, recruiting for chefs. Tell me how many people you can cook for uh, and what kind of foods that you have, that, that you specialize in. I've gotten tons of chef resumes that just have some basic you know, history outline, but they don't tell me what, you know, what you're capable of. Don't make me dig for that information. Put that stuff right at the top of your resume so that way the first half page tells me everything I know, need to know, to, to know if your skill sets marry with the client that I'm representing. That top of the page, that's important. Then you follow with your experience. Uh, if you have no experience, your education should be above it. So, you know, put your weakest stuff down at the bottom so you can set that hook. Um, I So I can't speak to how... Um, CV should look in England, but I know if you sent a resume or CV that had that kind of flow and format to it, to an American recruiter, they're going to sit there and go, I know what this person is capable of. Here's the job instead yeah. of spend an hour or not an hour. It's an exaggeration, but spend yeah. 60, 90 seconds reading through the whole thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the easier one than something that I have to dig for any day, especially when I'm screening 50, 70, 100 resumes. I'm, I'm rapid firing those. I'm going through it quick. So tell me right off the bat what you got for me. Yeah, completely agree. Really clear, really concise. Just not stressful either. Like some CVs are so stressful to look at. And like you say, like I just can't be bothered. It gives me a headache looking at it. Um, what if, I have to, if I have to sit there and decipher where the next line begins or where the next job category begins, then, then you've lost me. As yeah. you said, I'm, I'm, now I'm frustrated and annoyed. So formatting, 
formatting is hugely important. If I, if you say that you've got a huge attention to detail, and then I look through your resume and I see uh, a larger space between one paragraph than another paragraph, uh, you just, you're so no, you don't have attention to detail because you missed something. Yeah, and that's what the principals are going to be looking at. What's your ideal CV length? I'm okay with three pages. Um, you know what? I lie. I, the two pages are great. If you got to go to three, wonderful. Uh, one page in our industry, I'm sorry, just doesn't cut it. Mm. Um, I think the one, the day of one day resumes are long in the past. I cannot speak professionally about this, but I believe so also for the corporate world, but that's a personal opinion, not a professional one. And it's because tenure with companies has gone from 20 years mm. to five years. Yeah. So how can you express what you've done in the last 10, 15, 20 years on one page when you've had three, four, five jobs in, in that time? So, yeah. Multiple pages, by all means, I welcome them. But of course, if you send me a six-page resume, I'm—I don't know. I might have to go back to you and say you might want to shorten this up a little bit. We talked about that in the previous episode, where we've seen you know 15, 16-page CVs with the fonts oh big God. and loads of images, and it's all just oh, head, a headache. Yeah. And you know what? That's what online profiles are for. Mm. You want chefs out there? you need to have an online profile. Instead of sending a hundred pictures or documents with pictures all over them, yeah. a quick web link to show what your, your, you know, your food shots and your table yeah. setup shots. I think that's fantastic. And it reduces the, the needed information included to go to a principal. One click, they know everything you got. Yeah. Another thing I find that will really help speed up uh, a, a recruitment process for a candidate is if their references are there and clear and provided chasing references or trying to if references aren't available i don't know if it's the same in america but they're so important here references like decent references they absolutely are and although i work i operate a little bit differently and i've decided to do this because we have a lot of private service professionals that are out of work and they're yeah. applying for a lot of jobs. And I'm seeing a lot of reference fatigue out there. Um, you know, we work in a lot of the household managers may only be working in homes where they're the household manager and you have a housekeeper or you have a nanny. But in the office, you're reporting directly to the principal. So which tells me you've only got a few reference calls before mm -hmm. that principal is like, you know what? I'm so mm -hmm. sick and tired of hearing this person's name. I'm done mm -hmm. with it. So I only check references when you are going up for a serious job. So you've passed the first couple of interviews, you're meeting in person, maybe it's a trial. Now I'm going to start doing that, uh, that reference check. I'm not a believer in checking the references as they first come in. Mm. Uh, one, more work for me that I just don't need to do right now because mm. if I'd never place you, now I just you know put in hours worth of work unnecessarily. 
And I also potentially burned one of your two, one or two of your references in there because I was the straw that broke the camel's back because mm-hmm. every other agency is calling them. Mm-hmm. So I tend to recommend, look, you only need to call them unless they're getting a job because I can usually talk to a person and the reference is going to give me some very important information, of course, but I spend about an hour and a half to two hours on a video with all of my candidates that I'm putting forward for a position. I'm fairly confident by the time we get done talking that I'm not going to be surprised by anything in your in your references. Mm. Two, most people only provide references that are going to give them positive reviews anyway. Yeah. You know, there are questions we can ask and everything that can kind of yeah. get us some insight, but you know, if they give you a bad reference, well, then <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that, that no pity for the self-inflicted, as I like to say, mm. but I'm not, yeah, I'm not checking them till later until it's necessary. And uh, even then, sometimes it may not even be necessary because all my candidates go through a behavioral analysis interview. So mm. regardless of what the principal says, I may find out something um, about their past that is concerning for this particular principal. So I think that those those methodologies are, can be far more effective than trying to track down references. And as you say, you know that can be that that can be a chore unto itself. Yeah, it's such a tricky one over here because I completely agree with you. You know, there's only so many times a principal wants to be called. Um, mm-hmm. but then, but then a lot of the clients who are receiving candidates from an agency don't want to, re- don't want to receive candidates whose references haven't been checked. We have a thing where we basically just advise everybody when you leave your job, just get written references, just get your principal mm-hmm. to sign something. So you've got something written and then others an agency, we like to see written references, which basically just confirms that they were there and dates really sort of matches up and then similar to you we then call through and verify with the principal at the absolute final stage before a placement where they're sort of guaranteed to get the job but yeah I also can't be asked to be calling everybody all the time you know um but it's a tricky one um oh my god we could literally talk forever so much advice here and so many sort of tips there for, for, for candidates who are potentially looking for work so um to sort of try and wrap things up a little bit then so um you're based out in Dallas but your courses are remote anyone can join them do you have international students or do all your students tend to be American so far all my students have been American and uh, and I think there's there may be a good reason for that you know we have two very different industries yeah uh, you and I and and it's the same but also very very different um I would definitely welcome uh, the overseas students, of course, and uh, and then hopefully with their feedback, definitely make it more applicable to um, to international uh, homes. Mm. But again, what what I talk about is definitely more hard skill sets and organizing the home. So I think I believe it can be applicable across the board, but that statement is born out of my own ignorance from just not knowing your market as well. And then of course, there's always the time difference. It is from 10 to six central standard time of the United States, which of course, you know, you are, I think you're six or seven hours difference from me, Mm. which means that you're going to be up until all hours. And 
the other reason why I haven't, well, the reason why I haven't said, well, let's record it and make it available to everybody is for the reason that we were talking about before, networking, connecting mm-hmm. with people, sitting there and pressing play and listening to me drone on is wonderful. And I think you could get some value out of it, but the, the, you know, the weight of the world value comes from knowing other people on that class talking off uh you know off the uh, off topic on on the side and mm. you know really making connections in your local area and i have had it where it's like you know what hey uh i know you're looking for a job give me a call this afternoon after class i want to talk to you about something and yeah. so you know you see these connections happening and it's so energizing mm. and rewarding that I, I can't bring myself to offer it where self-paced or correspondence. Yeah, no, good for you, good for you. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. You know, I think we've covered so much there and um, really useful stuff for people on the lookout for work or potentially looking to one of your courses. Definitely come and connect with you. So when we put this out, we'll be tagging you in all of our posts. So um, anybody that wants to come and connect and learn and talk to you, uh, learn a little bit more about what you do. We have lots of listeners over in the States. Um, anyone that's interested in joining your courses would be really useful. Um, if you're ever in London, come say hi, for sure. I definitely uh, will. Absolutely. Come, come meet some of the private industry uh, uh, professionals this side of the pond. And to everybody listening, uh, thank you once again for coming and joining us. As always, please come follow us on socials. If you've got any questions, you can drop me an email at philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and then finally, if we can help you looking for work or help you find some staff, please come visit us at Silver Swan Recruitment. I will see you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everyone. Bye.